Welcome to Stories from Retirement, where you hear long-form conversations with people who've actually been retired for at least a year. I'm your host, Drew, and I started this podcast uh, in 2022. My goal is to create 10 of these interviews and share them, um, just so people can learn about what retirement's really like. So in this episode, which is episode number four, you're going to meet my friend, Jimmy. And what I'm excited to bring to everybody uh, with Jimmy is a number of things, but uh, one of my favorite things is he's got a, he had a very different career path. You know, he worked in Wall Street and my first three guests work with me in tech. So this is like a very different perspective and set of learnings. Uh, we recorded this a while back. It was in uh, March of 2023, right during the Silicon Valley bank crisis. And um, now when I'm finishing editing, which unfortunately takes me a little while, we're at the debt ceiling crisis. And it was just interesting to have that as background and context for our conversation, because one of the things that I've been kind of wound up about is um, our currency uh, in the United States and our, our vulnerability and risk with that and what we put the whole world at risk with currency. So it's kind of interesting to talk to Jimmy about that, but also taking a step back, you know, one of the things I promised myself in retirement is I wasn't going to get all wound up about issues that I really can't control, but to some degree, you can't help that. But I found it interesting in, in conversations with Jimmy, you know, he spent a lot of time in South America with sovereign debt and corporate debt in countries where currencies were weak. And he's got a very interesting point of view about what it's like to work with government and business officials and, you know, get close to those cultures and understand how people persevere and and hardship and work their way through it and the admiration he has for people you know, living in countries that don't have the day-to-day -day difficulties or the day-to-day -day ease, I should say, that we have in the United States. So that was very interesting. The other part I think you're going to enjoy is, you know, Jimmy's view on income and portfolio management and retirement. You know, he just echoes, in my mind, humility and simplicity, which I think is, is super important. You know, Jimmy's kind of gone through being retired at a very young age, having time with his kids while they were in high school to starting up a you know a venture and then retiring again and then he's starting up another venture so he's got a very active mind he thinks that's very important he's very intentional about that and you know he also sets some boundaries and i think you'll find him you know very realistic about what life is like in retirement and there's a lot of empathy you'll hear him talk about how fortunate he is and not everybody's in quite the situation he's been able to get himself into uh, for himself and his family, but he's grateful. He's got a good friend group, uh, and he's a he's a great friend of mine as well. So, with that, uh, please enjoy this long form interview with Jimmy. Thanks for joining. I think um, you know the Glad purpose of yeah yeah the purpose of this podcast is really just to share with other people like real life stories of what it's like. Um, maybe towards the end of a career or in a transition to retirement, and what's changed and. Uh, what we can learn from 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 individual stories. Um, so with that as a warm up, you know, I've had a number of uh, tech professionals on because that's kind of my field and and some of my friend group. Um, you come from a from a Wall Street background, which is uh, yeah. fascinating for me. Nothing I've been ever trained in, but I I try to follow closely different areas of that. But I think it'd be interesting for all of our uh, uh, millions of listeners. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> to hear about your career. Not yet, not yet, but we'll get there. Uh, just to hear about your career and uh, what you worked on. Sure. So, uh, well, again, thanks for having me. The um, career started uh, really, uh, it's interesting about Wall Street, a little bit of a late bloomer, and partly that's due to the fact that I didn't go to the right schools, maybe. Um, you know, they pay attention to that, and, and you know, typically Wall Street firms will uh, recruit at only the top 10 schools. Um, right. So I didn't go to those schools. Um, and, and the typical uh, career starts in a training program, either between your junior or senior year of undergrad or uh, between your two years of master's MBA program. And uh, I didn't have that experience. So when I did join, I was able to get a job at a um, at Smith Barney at the time, and, uh, which was a Wall Street firm, you know, sort of a second tier Wall Street firm at the time, but it was owned by Sandy Weil and Jamie Dimon. Uh, and, and so it was in the counterparty risk department. So it really wasn't on the business side of it, but it got me entree into, uh, into a Wall Street firm. So I worked within that risk group for a couple of years and was able to eventually uh, migrate to a business side of it. So I, la- I landed on an emerging markets trading desk, emerging market credit trading desk. So they were, tra- they were, they had joined the firm to uh, make markets and trade in uh, fixed income, mostly bonds of, you know, mostly sovereign bonds and corporate bonds of, uh, of companies and countries in Latin America for the most part. And there were other emerging markets, but that was the primary world we were dealing in. Um, so that got me to the business side as a research analyst. And, and it was not easy. It was, there, were, there were some reluctance because, again, I didn't go through those normal training programs or so on. But, um, but thankfully... Once you're in, you can kind of navigate from there, right? Once you're in, you can navigate, yeah. And it yeah. Was, it's funny, though, when you think about the world today in terms of information and... Uh, access to, to, to material. I just remember, you know, working on uh, doing research. So we're doing research on companies. You had to get a prospectus or you had to get financial statements. You had to get um, information really that was publicly available. And there was no internet back then. There was no, yeah, right. uh, you know, there was no, there was SEC, but you had to actually send an or call the SEC, send a, send a letter or call the SEC and request information, which would then be mailed to you. So you would get these 500 page prospectuses in the mail. <laughs> then you have to sit and read the whole thing, which you still have to do, but you can do it electronically and it's available instantaneously. So the world has changed dramatically only in that short period of time. Uh, so anyhow, that, that triggered the career. Uh, we eventually moved with that group to another firm uh, it was actually a Mexican bank, and then Mexico blew up in '94. That's kind of the nature of emerging markets. Um, is that um, is that why in Mexico sometimes we see these old five thousand peso notes and they're not accepted anymore? Do you do you happen to know? Yeah, that? oh, for sure. For, in fact, That's I have um, I have some old uh, currency from Argentina. Um, okay, because when they had their crisis in two thousand one. You know, essentially, the the states themselves started issuing their own currency because there was no currency in the system, and and there was the, the currency that was in the system was kind of worthless. So they just created their own notes. <laughs> um, it, it, it's unbelievable. I think there's so many people that haven't had your perspective in a career or traveled 
and seeing these old currencies because Italy has it too, right? Before the euro, yeah. even like the lira was totally yeah. changed. That there's so many, you know, l large countries that their currencies have gone to zero, right? Well, we're on our way. <laughs> Today is kind of a, coincidentally looking at the TV screen. I mean, there's a lot of. Um, I'm afraid to look at what's going on with the banks. I really am. Well, it, it, it's the package that came out last night is essentially right out of the Argentine playbook, which is scary, in my opinion, yeah. because essentially the way I look at this is it's a, and I hate to go off topic, but it's very timely, and the and it has a lot to related to emerging markets, because what the government has essentially just done is, to me, is a backdoor nationalization of deposits, which is essentially what Argentina did, right? They froze deposits, right? And they devalued their currency. And this is a little bit different, but it's similar in a way that the way they compensated the banks and depositors is they flooded the banks with government securities, long-term government securities that probably were worth 20 or 30 cents in the dollar, but they allowed the banks to mark those at par, which is essentially what the federal government just did mm. with, um, with providing a credit facility backed by government securities that they could borrow uh, at par, even if the government securities are worth less than par. So to me, it's the same kind of thing, right? So essentially what you're, you're saying is that the, the equity in these banks is worthless and we'll, we're, we're guaranteeing ensuring your full amount 100 percent of deposits um so it's a, it's it's a kind of a backdoor nationalization of the deposit system in my opinion so anyhow it's the same kind of thing of what happened in mexico in 94 where they got a bailout um and the only way to to ensure a run on a bank or from happening or runs on a bank from happening is essentially freeze deposits or provide an unlimited guarantee. And that's what's happening today. So we've freezing seen deposits or freezing withdrawals? Freezing withdrawals. Yeah. 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 Same, okay. same kind of thing. So which is, was not happening. The opposite is happening here, but by guaranteeing all those deposits, is it really going to stem the withdrawal? Probably not. It's just going to, provide depositors with the opportunity to to move their deposits from a smaller bank to a big bank. That's essentially what's hap what's going to happen here, which is why you're yeah. seeing the stocks of the smaller banks just plummet today. Well, Anyhow, I tell you what, your your uh, emerging markets 101. Your career really like has given you a foundation for um, it's got to be scary, I guess what's going on in this country. Well, the monetary the monetary uh system is scary right now and the fiscal system is scary and we've so i've seen this and and uh you know one of the things that i i know you're going to ask about are is probably books i've read and if you read ray dalio's recent books about uh he wrote a three-part book on um uh historical debt crises and he essentially frames it in the in, in sort of a short-term time frame and a long-term time frame and the and the the ups and downs of empires and he went back to the dutch and the british and the chinese in the past and the time frames that those empires exist uh and the monetary systems that are uh, uh that developed during those periods of time and how you see a decline in those empires and essentially where that's he puts it in six stages and we're in stage five uh and and six stage six is a is a combination of 
uh, monetary debt from an economic standpoint, monetary debt levels plus internal strife and external strife, and all of those elements are lining up. And he even came out a few months ago and said, "Get we're going to get it closer and closer to stage six, which is not a place you want to be." So I hate right. to be doom gloom, to be honest, because this country is great and there's so many entrepreneurs and businesses, but the 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 fiscal and monetary situation that we're being put in here is what scares me. Just adds too much risk, right? Yeah. Do you have like a um, a part in your career or something you know that you you feel like you're most proud of? That was a moment that you really. Um, well, there's there's um, probably help the firm or help your clients. <laughs> well. Yeah, our, our business, so fast forward, I moved to Bank of America in uh, 19, no, no, 2000. And I joined the distressed trading desk, right? So that was, it was a combination of, uh, mostly to do the Latin American portion of that, uh, which really wasn't a big business at the time. And, uh, but the idea was if, the Latin American portion doesn't work, I'll try to do U.S. distress trading, right? So that's trading in bonds and loans of, you know, companies in distress or in default or in bankruptcy, um, which is a really fascinating business. Uh, and, and, and in 2001, the Argentines blew up, as I've already mentioned. So that created this very large market for us. And, and also, uh, Brazil had essentially a crisis in 2003. Uh, because of a drought and a currency um, devaluation. Venezuela was, was having issues back then. So there was a, a tremendous amount of distress debt that was, um, that arose during that period of time in Latin America. So we were the largest trading desk. We developed this. We were ready to go from the day one and had a good team at the time. Now we did partner with one fund in particular because we could trust them and um, it was always good to have the second look, because these are very complicated sure. transactions right. and potentially risky trades. So uh, we were able to really have a good partnership with them uh, and, and share on trades. And so, because inevitably what would occur is that we had to restructure these companies and you always wanted more than one. You, you don't want to be the only guy in the room when you're restructuring these right. companies. Right, yeah. Um, so it was always good to have that partnership. Um, so, so that business, so, so I'm very proud of the way we created that business and traded it. And, and, you know, we, uh, we didn't have a loss for, for five years, I'd say, which is probably because we didn't take enough risk, but it's still, it's a pretty good track okay. record. And then, right. and then during the financial crisis, we, we were probably the only trading desk that didn't lose money. We were flat essentially on the year because we had, we were able to hedge. Um, we were hedging our currency risk primarily, but we also had other hedges on. Um, so that, that was a pretty private problem. Okay. But I think the other two moments, you know, we bought a, um, uh, arbitration award. It was the first time that an award of its kind had ever traded. And this was against the government of Argentina. We bought that in 2008. Um, and it took us five years. Uh, to uh, negotiate and, and litigate and uh, lobby the U.S. government to impose sanctions on Argentina, all of which worked. Uh, and that eventually led them to uh, the negotiating table where we 
settled in 2013. Essentially, you know, we bought the award at a deep discount and essentially we, we settled it almost at par. At par, okay, that was, that's that incredible. Was, that was an historic trade actually, because it was, it doesn't, these are the type what of things too, though. much news out there, but um, you know, it was the first of its kind to ever trade. And, and the fact that we were able to negotiate and settle with the Argentine government at the time for that amount was, um, was very, uh, very rewarding, obviously, but also um, kind of just uh, a good, a great achievement on what I felt like. Uh, that's super cool. So, um, what do you, uh, I guess, like, what do you, what do you miss most about that, that work? Uh, I, I miss the, um, what do I miss about it? I mean, it's, 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 it's somewhat exciting. I mean, there's a lot of time commitment to it all. There's a lot of travel, uh, yeah. Which, which is also can be very, you know, it's, it's kind of enjoyable in a way um, to go to the countries, to meet the people. It's one way of really getting to know countries is because if you go there on, if you're a tourist, you go and you do the tourism stuff. Right? Totally different thing, right. If you go on business and the, the, the kind of the depth of the business that we were involved in uh, was, um, you know, pretty, pretty deep. So we were, uh, we really get to know people. And you get to um, know the country, you know the culture more. So, because you, you're really spending a lot of time there, and you're meeting most of the time, you're meeting sort of the high quality people. But in many cases, you're meeting just business people who have built companies with their families over the years, and and um, you know it's it's in, in environments that are very difficult. So it's it's kind of rewarding as well to meet them and learn their cultures and so on. Oh, I imagine they're fascinating people. So a lot of this was would you or is all of it was a corporate debt? Most like of it was a mix of but we ended up so the Argentine one is a sovereign that was that, okay. was, that was government. I mean we we negotiated directly with the finance minister and uh, all that was done at a very high level. Uh, but most everything was else was corporate. Um, you know there was <laughs> We were, we, we also were dealing with, um, you know, high level people in Venezuela in 2013. Um, I'll leave it at that, but that never came to anything, but we were in, you know, deep discussions over restructuring all their debt back then and it never came to anything. And then they eventually defaulted. Huh? So some of it's government, but most of it's corporate. Yeah. Okay. And unfortunately um, the corporates, they're, they're the, the, and part of the reason, even if they're in distress or restructuring or in, or in bankruptcy, in many cases, the people that are running the businesses are are, are so much more credible than the government officials because they they just happen to be in the country. And the reason that the distress occurred because of a currency event and the companies had borrowed in dollars and all due to sovereign issues, not necessarily. They're the, the ones creating companies. creating value, uh, creating jobs. All yeah, that, and, right. and they're they're subject to the government policies and and corruption and messiness that occurs at those at those at those places. So you know, it's, mm -hmm. you feel somewhat um, sympathetic toward them. And you know, our our philosophy was always leave something on the table for the equity holders because you're never going to cut a deal with them unless they have something in it at the end. So you know, we always tried to have. A consensual restructuring where everyone at the table 
uh, felt decent about it. And, Some, and a lot got of cases, something anyways, from, right? Yeah. From a broad perspective, I think the proudest thing I had is in so many of those cases, we ended up uh, cutting deals and having great relations with the owners and the managers afterward, rather than, you know, a, a, rather rather than being, you know, uh, enemies and you know fighting for every last dollar against them. That was never our right. philosophy. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Switching into um, some some thoughts about uh, your career for maybe the next generation, if you had some advice for people that are starting careers based on what you've lived, what would you say to them? Uh, I mean, what do I say? I say I have two kids that are now adults, so what do I say to them? I guess it's my only... Yeah. Uh, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backward. Uh, and, and I think that particularly at a young age, sort of once you're out of college, it's, it's good to get different experiences and so on, because you really don't know what you're going to do. I mean, I, what we, what we, uh, imposed, imposed, maybe that's too strong a word. Our kids is to have a skill out of college rather than just a broad degree is have some specific skill so at least it's you carry that forward into a job and hopefully that leads into a career if not at least you have some skill that you can fall back on sure yeah that makes um, sense but also you know in this day and age it just so much happens between your age of 25 and 30 in life and in work and in career that you got to have to stay ahead of the game if you have the ambition to right right um, right and what does that mean it means you know, working hard. Uh, if you have, if you want to go get back to school, about go back to school or get a master's degree or something, or you know, always try to stay ahead of the curve. Um, and it requires work. And study Did you have like a what you would call a rabbi um, in your career? Somebody that really took you under their wing and guided you along? Not really. I had a, a colleague of mine, uh, Scott Gordon, was was probably if anything of a mentor because he he had a lot of experience in emerging markets right out of school. And he was also not typical Wall Street guy, <laughs> even though he was a Wall Street guy. He was very calm and and uh, uh, thought about things and not didn't sort of have this sense of urgency that is probably not necessary on most occasions. So just kind of has a vision of how to run a business um, and also, you know, really good person. So that, that really, helped me a lot in my career. Yeah, that's one of the things I, I uh, tell my kids. My, my son has really found that. Um, I, my daughter is, uh, I guess, tough enough and aggressive enough where maybe she maybe she won't need that. I don't know. But I, I almost always had a, you know, a rabbi. His name is John Fickany. And he helped me a ton, taught me a ton, uh, brought me along. There's a couple others as well that really that really helped me along. My son has, has found that guy and he's really helped helping develop him. And I don't know how common that is these days, but for a lot of young people, they need that. I think I needed that. I need, there's a lot of edges I needed. Yeah. Shaping. Well, I think you're right. I mean, it's a great thing to have as a mentor who takes you under your wings, uh, but you got to want that too. That's true. That's true. But you got to give something back to him, right? Certainly. It certainly helps. And I think that it's 
one of my regrets is that I was good at managing down, but not necessarily managing up, which is kind of important on Wall Street type jobs because sure. uh, it really matters when it comes to bonus season <laughs> and it comes to promotions and all that. It's it's you really need to manage yourself up with you know people who have that those decision making authority in order to that helps you attract talent too, right? Because people um, want all that. Yeah, it's... it it helps you move into leadership positions uh, for sure. And then, you know, then you can choose who your talent is. Do, do you wish you had gone like higher into leadership? You know, uh, I mean, I, I, where I was, was a pretty good position. I mean, I was, uh, managing director on a leading a trading desk. That's a pretty good position yeah. to be in. It's amazing. Uh, and, and the, the, the reason I left in 2014 was really because the rules were changing, right? The, after the financial crisis, there was the Volcker rules implemented on the banks, which essentially okay. reduced the amount of risk the banks could take, right? It took several years for that to be implemented um, practically. So post the crisis, we, you know, we merged with Merrill Lynch, but day one was we have capital, put it to work. And we did, and we were the distressed trading desk, so we had a lot of balance. There were some good play. opportunities out there, right? And there were great opportunities, right? So between 2009 and 2013 were our most profitable years, okay. um, by far. You know, the business grew a lot, but then toward the end of it, because of the Volcker rules being implemented, we couldn't take that risk so much, and a lot of our positions were positions that you had to hold for more than one year and that was kind of the the trigger point where if you didn't move turn that position over which is what the banks lending trading desk is supposed to be doing then essentially you're gonna you, there's high capital charges on those positions and then on that balance sheet and you really don't make any money off that stuff so didn't fit well with our trading book with our trading strategy plus okay the um as the rules were being implemented, our trading book was actually pretty low at the time. There wasn't a lot of stress out there. So to me, to actually rebuild that book and in the context of the new rules wasn't going to happen. So long-winded answer are to those rules Are those rules still Either in place? I, oh, even more so now. Oh, they're okay. strict. They're really strict. This is why, the, I mean, the, the risk on the, the big banks is very limited right now from what I can see. Um, so the decision was to leave and to essentially retire. That was my first retiring. Um, and okay. it was a perfect time because it, did I have an opportunity to move into another leadership position? I really didn't think about it, to be honest. I didn't really want to move in any other area of the bank. And what's, what's interesting is one of the guys who was the head of sales on our trading desk, he ended up moving to the wealth management side and now he is president of Bank of America New York City. So he completely changed his career and within the bank and um, is now in a very senior position at the bank. And would I have liked that? At the time, it was more I needed a break and it was right. time. To, and at the time, you know, the way it works there, too, is there was a thing called the rule of 60. If you're your age, um, age plus years of service was 60 or higher then you're fully vested in all of the compensation. And, and a lot of the compensation in the, is deferred comp. And most okay. of it's insurance, right? So 
if you leave, you lose two thirds of your um, uh, of your uh, compensation. You know, over the past unless everything years. adds up to sixty, yeah. right? Huh? Unless it adds up to sixty. Unless it's sixty, yeah. So I was fully vested, so I could leave and have fully vested. So you, there's certain rules like that you have to. You can't go to a competitor for those three years. Blah blah blah. But you know, essentially, you're fully vested, and uh, it makes the decision easier. And the kids, you know, my kids were still in high school, so I could spend more time with them until they went off to college. So that was a really perfect time for me to go. My wife was still working, um, so. I did want to move into a different position, but I wanted to take some time off first. Yeah. That was the... That, that, that sounds great. So did you, um, did you take another career after that, after your kids went back to school? Because you did have a role for a little while, right? And let me ask you this in this yeah. way. I mean, are you retired right now? Or would you say, <laughs> I'm still open to yeah. other opportunities? I'm open to opportunities, but I'm pretty, uh, it's kind of limited. So yeah, yes, I did go back. So in 2016, I, um, formed a group of three other people, um, to, to either launch our own emerging market fund. So more on the buy side, you know, you get the, the banks are the sell side, dealer side and buy side is, you know, hedge funds or private equity firms and, Sure. Investment management companies. So we were trying to launch our own, um, but it was very, very difficult. Or, or we were trying to be hired by a bigger platform. And so what culminated was uh, two, me and one other person joined a firm called EMSO Asset Management, which was a pretty large emerging market debt hedge fund based in London, uh, to launch their private investing business, which is direct loans, distressed debt investing, very you know, longer term type investment vehicle. Uh, so I went there at the end of 2017. Uh, and, and so if, if you go back to the last question, which was what, um, did I want a more leadership position? But this is the position that I wanted, that I was, I wanted to go back to the buy side of the business under an investment fund. And, and be a founder. Up. Yeah, and, and manage that money. And so that was my ultimate goal. And so we landed at a good spot. And we were able, so we was, it was great because now, um, you know, the kids are in college. I, I can work, I can travel, I can do all the things I can do and, and uh, not worry so much. You know, there's a lot of anxiety getting home on a Friday night or Saturday sure. morning. Yeah. Travel all week, you're tired. And you're worn out and they want your time mm -hmm. and all of that. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot, you know, there's an enormous amount of uh, tension in that. <laughs> uh, personal tension, really, more than anything, just because you want to get home and you're missing things, right? So now I didn't have that conflict so much. So it was a good time and I traveled the world because we were now raising, not only were we having to raise money for the fund, but we were also having to seek deals. Um, so because in some ways you have to show people who allocate money, what deals you're investing in in order for them to invest in them. So it's this push and pull. And not only that, but we were doing also, so we we're raising money globally, but we're also looking at deals globally because not only were we doing Latin America, but we're doing all emerging markets. So we spent a lot of time in India uh, and, you know, Nigeria, we did in Ukraine. Um, so it, it was, it was. That sounds amazing. It was, it was 
difficult though, and we ended up raising about 250 million bucks. Uh, but, but that was before COVID, and then we were uh, investing all that money, uh, which we did, which we did successfully. Um, but then we were trying to launch what we call our large, um, essentially long-term fund of about a billion. And that start, we launched that, of course, in January 2020. Um, so I was on the road a lot those couple months. And then all of a sudden... And March COVID, is when COVID I hit. Really yeah. clueless it was out there because I'm on the road. And uh, anyway, it, it, we weren't able to raise the money and it all kind of came apart toward the end of 2020. So I've been retired ever since. Okay. Okay. Do you think you'll make another run at that business? Go for that, you know, billion uh, dollar business? If the opportunity presents itself, I might, I think so. But right now I've been working on a startup of my own. So right. Uh, right. We're, 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 I was, I was hoping to launch that a week ago, but we're going to wait a week or two more and go out live with that. Do you want to pitch um, that to, uh, to people pitch that? Business? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so what do sure. you got cooking? If you want to give me the platform. So the business is a digital vault. Um, so what's happening is, and I think now it's really going to happen that the banks are um, <clears throat> shutting down their safety deposit box business to a large extent. It's a real estate business. I think they've realized that it's been in their branches for 150 years and they, they make no money and it's a real estate it's expensive, business. Yeah, business. Right. It's expensive. Non-regulated storage business. So uh, at the same time, the world is going digital. So all the documents and, and certifications that you have in your vault or your safety deposit box should be digitized. So. The idea is to work with the banks to transition their customers from the physical uh, content, the physical um, aspect of their ownership and, and, and important critical documents into digital format. So A is a storage platform first, then, okay. a, a, then a, a certificate or token. So all of these become certifications digitized so that the physical proof of ownership is not necessary anymore um and that way those assets become more tradable and more uh just easier to transact uh, in digital format and this applies not only to say a deed or you know to your auto title to your watch to your jewelry to whatever whatever form of value that you may have stored in physical form can now be in digital form so um, first, we want to roll that out for the banks and then roll it out more for really anybody. But the reason we're focusing on the banks is A, it coincides with the fact that they're slowly shutting down their safety deposit box business, but also, you know, they gives them an option and an answer for their clients, right? What's that? That gives them an option and an answer for their clients. Yeah, we're shutting down this box that you've had for all these years, yeah. but you can go to this service. 100%. And, uh, in, it, it makes a positive out of a negative. They can come to the branch. The branch um, staff can help them scan, if necessary, those documents, can upload them into the platform. It's all encrypted. Um, and, and also can work with them, you know, spend time with those clients and see what other financial needs they might have. Hmm. Uh, and, and they could... I mean, if they want to, if the banks want to pay for it for one year, because it's going to be a charge, right? The storage service will be a charge. They could do that. If um, 
we it's also less expensive than maintaining that real estate to your point yeah yeah and then they'll slowly shut it down and then so so for the banks it's a it's a smart thing to do and we could also where i spoke to some uh, distributors of home safes who can you know if people really want to keep the physical parts and want to maintain them in a safe spot they can put them in a home safe or there could be an outside storage solution but that's the idea is to help that transition into a digital world, which is going to happen, right? In five to 10 years, you're not going to need that physical document. You're seeing it with DocuSign. You're seeing it with online notaries. All this stuff can be digital. All this stuff can be online in a safe format. So the safety and security is key. Um, I love the idea of a physical safe too for some of these assets. I got like a little tr story, little transition. Um, so I've got, a, I've got a good friend who's also like a prepper basically. And uh, he's got prepper? like a doomsday prepper. Oh, okay. He's got all these gold coins and silver coins, and he's got a lot of weapons. And you know, he's got yeah. flashlights and night vision goggles. He's got it all. And he uh, can have that world. <laughs> yeah, he can. But he took me on a um, like a field trip into Detroit, and there is a a large, almost like warehouse where they have all these old safes and a lot yeah. of them built in the seventies, these really heavy ones with like yeah. all the mechanisms and the glass. So you can't drill through. And they, they have some where, you know, they, they didn't do it, but like somebody tried to drill into it and smash it with a sledgehammer. And you can see yeah. these things are solid and they're expensive. They're three, $4,000, but they'll come and put this into your basement and it's like nobody's taking that damn thing out because it probably weighs 500 pounds yeah and yeah. that's where you well, can store some of these things right you probably so, have a more so, modern safe than that but i mean you're right so i think there will be a market for sort of external storage spaces vaults physically because there's people that want to have that whether people want to have it in their homes or not is a different issue because people have to worry right. about floods and fires and so on. But I do think that one thing we would like part of the business plan is to have those customers be able to have sort of a two-factor authentication on a safe. You don't have it in a home safe so that there's a camera there, right? Just like we're staring at the camera on our computer so right. that... You can't get into that safe unless you have either a fingerprint or, you know, a third-party verification that it's even facial recognition type technology so that um, there's a recording of what's going on and getting into the safe. So there's there's a lot of elements to it. Oh, it's super cool. What's the name of your business again? What's the name of the business again? Our vaults. Our vaults? www.garvaults.com. Garvaults. Okay. Okay. Uh, super cool. Super cool. Yeah. So we'll see how that I, goes. I mean, that's a startup that you built, right? So you had to build the technology side of that and the business plan. and. Um, yeah, the, the website is being built. It's almost completed. Uh, that's kind of the first step. Second step is to work with a bank to as a test run. Um Assuming that we can do that, then I'll go fundraise. I haven't raised any money yet for it because I want to. The, the the fundraising is really a, it's not a small amount; it's a big amount because what, once we get the fundraising, then we can really develop the the valuation tools. So that's sort of APIs that interface with other sites that feed in valuations for all these assets. So you have a and and 
creating unique identifiers for those assets so that um, they're identifiable, um, they're, they're non-fungible, but they're tradable, right? So that uh, you don't need the physical proof of ownership. And that's okay. really going to require a lot of programming, a lot of work. So that's really what, what the next step would be. Yeah. Uh, well, um, you know, often I'll ask people, well, like, is they going to retire? But then again, I may not have to if I don't, it doesn't go anywhere. But hey, it's worth it. I'm learning a hell of a lot. So that's good. I, I think it's fantastic. I've, you know, I've got a, a much smaller idea as well. And I've got a partner and I'm, I'm not very far along on it. But it's fun to think about. It's fun to have a side project. Um, this this is um, yeah. We you know, the funny thing is we have. Uh, I like your idea better. I'll say that. <laughs> no thanks, but you know we're we're we, my neighborhood. A lot of our friends are retiring. Just this year alone, is two people who have retired, and one one woman. She was uh, she'd been working for forty years straight. You know, thirty eight at one company, and so she left. Just uh, her last day is in. I mean, she's pretty much done, but her last day is in two weeks. So, <laughs> Today, good for her. And then another friend of mine, he was on the finance side, you know. So it's a, it's a it's a getting used to. It. It's not easy for a lot of people. For me, it's been a little bit easier because it's my second time. Um, right. First time, first time was was a combination of things that led to it. It was a good, perfect situation. The second time was a little bit more forced, um, but. Uh, but the transition's been a lot easier for me, I think, just because I spent a lot of time on investing and it's, it's been my background, so I, um, I take it very seriously. So I spent a lot of time on it. It's almost like a job, the way I treat it. Uh, so, You're talking about your, your personal portfolio and finance. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Okay, yeah. okay. It, yeah. I, you know, I don't want to get into anything you don't want to answer, but maybe for, for uh, the, the folks listening here, it's, it's, it is really interesting to talk to somebody with such a deep financial background. Um, the, the rest of my friends I've had on, I guess, are, are more muddlers. And I've asked them, you know, <clears throat> you, you've retired, so you're financially independent. That's fantastic. What's your safety margin like? Did you, I don't know. I mean, I ended up going to a financial advisor, two of them, and say, "Hey, can you run these numbers? Do we have enough?" And you know, they give you these percentages and how much you could probably spend per month and those type of things. But yep. did did you did you have a number? And would you say like you were at one point oh of that number or two times that number? And how do you feel about you know? Uh, there's a lot of questions at once, but how do you feel? you know, five years, six years into this, where there's been some, I'm sure, increase in your portfolio and decrease in your portfolio, how, how, how does how does that feel? Well, I think that um, it's it's definitely a, and we had we've having this conversation with some of our neighbors about the anxiety level of all of a sudden there's no income coming in, right? Right. You have this paycheck coming in uh, all the time, and now you don't. There was actually an article in the journal a week or so ago about it too, how all of a sudden you get anxiety about spending money and so on. So it does have a, a um, <laughs> it does have an impact, I think, especially since the beginning of last year when the markets have really had a hiccup. I mean, we've essentially been in this bull run for four years, right? With some up and downs, but it's been a 40 year bull market. So, and then at the beginning of last year, interest rates were zero. So a huge chunk of people's portfolios was earning nothing, right? right. And then even if you had, 
fixed income. Even that was the worst year ever in fixed income in terms of performance. Right. So 2022 was a very, very difficult year in the financial markets. And now we're seeing all this volatility happen. Um, it was just an amazing time for me to retire. The, 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 huh? It was so, an amazing time for me to retire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you try to you try to put some resilience in your portfolio. What does that mean? I, I mean, who knows? But especially when interest rates are zero, right? Right. So at least now interest rates were well, they were five percent. Now they're four. Um, uh, you know, the way I look at it is keep fees down as much as possible. Okay. Uh, because the financial advisors will take your money happily. Uh, yep. Try to. Uh, try to generate enough income from your portfolio to satisfy your spending needs, which can be hard, you know, and that income can from, from whatever dividends, from interest, from rental properties, from social security, from whatever sources you may have, you just add that up and make sure it's covering your expenses because that way you can weather the market cycles. You can't right. People who think they can sit around on their computers trade the stock market. <laughs> They're silly because 90% of the trading is being done by electronic experts, experts and that's the volume, right? So you have zero, you have zero value added, right? And, and, and it's, it's like going to the casino. You the day no traders out there, right? Yeah. And it's, it, it draws you in because it gives you something to do and things like you're, feels like you're doing something. Uh, um, but it, it really is not a good strategy. So, um, that's the I remember general. being out on a um, on a sailboat. Hmm? I, I remember so, being out on a sailboat on a sailboat race, and we were kind of uh, getting everything ready, and it was kind of a down period. And we were talking, and there's this young guy on there, and he he kind of asked me what I did for my career, and I was telling him a little about it, and I said I reciprocated back, and I said, "What do you do?" And he said, "I'm a day trader." Okay. And, um, you know, I'd been drinking a little bit. You're on a sailboat, right? And I just started laughing. I had this belly laugh. And I, I was a dicky thing to do for sure. But I'm like, that's not a career. And he got so freaking mad at me. Yeah. But um, sure I probably didn't handle that conversation quite right. Yeah. Some people might be yeah. successful at it. but it's Some uh, people are successful at the casino. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, there's a rare group that can that can play poker or, or work yeah. their way through it, and they, they make some money. But yeah, um, I mean it's 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 a hard business, and and even on in a personal level, uh, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I got caught up with some of the things that were going on in the last year or so with the spacs and the Bitcoin and the crypto world. Okay. Yeah, um, but nothing that. Uh, you know, nothing too crazy. <laughs> so you, you get caught up in these, and, and now with the social media, there's so much noise, right? There's so many people on non-experts that are on Twitter or on, even on TV, on CNBC, is just noise and noise and noise. And, and the, the really, the only way to invest that I've come to realize is value investing, which is the Buffett way, right? You, you right. do your work. You got to do work. If you don't, and if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know, don't do the work, then the best thing to do is put into low index funds, low cost index funds, and that's it. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. Okay. You know. And then, you know, limit your withdrawals as best you can to the income. Yep. 
that you yeah. have out there. So you aren't, you know, uh, killing the golden goose that's laying the egg every year for you. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Kind of yeah. Like and if you okay. need income, then you go to work. And yeah. I think there's a big, we're trying to, we were saying, what's the, I think there's a big opportunity in this country to actually put people to work, older people to work, right? So, um, you know, what, what are those jobs? I have no idea. It's just, there's something out, there's got to be something out there, right? Well, Carvalt's going to be hiring. A lot of people want to work, but, you know, it's a big commitment. They don't want to put 40-hour work weeks or whatever. Right. Um, but what are those jobs? I don't know. But, you know, there's definitely a huge number of millions of people who don't work that probably want to work that could work. And you, I don't know what those would be, but there's something out there. Absolutely. Okay, let, let's let's switch over to uh, health some. So, um, you know, I think uh, most of us would agree that there's there's problems and then there's health problems. Um, <clears throat> and at this age, you can start to have some more health problems. But, you know, we can also use this time in retirement to, you know, keep ourselves fit and, um, you know, de-stress and uh, take good care of ourselves and, you know, our spouse and our friends and all that. And I know you're a big community guy, but how do you feel about like your physical health and your vitality since you've retired? Do you think that's improved or have you put some extra time and energy into that? And what are you doing? Yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've always kept in shape. So it's not, it's, it's something that uh, that I've only improved upon since I stopped working, right? So okay. I bike, I run a little bit, I play tennis, I snowboard. Uh, I don't, I'm never bored. I'm yeah, that's good. Fly fishing, playing less golf, but more, and, and yeah, so, so keeping busy with all those things, being outside, yeah. you got to get outside every day. Right? Yeah. Um, I just yeah. finished um, a Hemingway book. Um, you ever read uh, Nick Adams' uh, stories, are the Nick Adams stories by Hemingway? No. Yeah, so Hemingway grew up in Chicago and spent a lot of time in northern Michigan, and the Nick Adams stories are really about fishing and hunting in northern Michigan for the most part and all the trouble he gets into. They're a bit like Huck Finn stories, but um, he's also got a book. It's just called Hemingway on Fishing. You know, he he was spent a lot of time in Key West, and he became yeah, you know yeah. obsessed with Marlin. But the stories of his, I guess it's somewhat autobiographical of of Nick Adams working his way through these streams and fly fishing and going for trout and reading the water. It was it's it's really cool and catching grasshoppers and his whole approach to it. Oh, that's it's awesome. pretty neat. Yeah, you I'm might like read it. that. It's fun and it's beautiful out there. And um, you do that in Vermont. Yeah, and um, it's funny you say that because it, it, it's funny thing you can you can fly fish and you can you can buy all the gear and you can right. spend thousands of dollars, right? But at the end of the day, you need a line and a fly, right? Mm -hmm. And you just got to throw it out there sometimes and figure out how to fish. So and find um, your little pockets, see where they're going to be. Yeah. There's a Vermont author called Howard Frank Mosher, um, and he's a great author. And it's all, it's all very Vermont because it's northern Vermont stories, but a lot of it's around, you know, there's always a fly fishing element in it or a fishing element in it. So he talks about those things too. And, and uh, 
so I always wanted to learn, and I, I took a class, whatever, 20, 30 years ago. I, I went, I tried to do it on my own. I said, this is something I can only do in retirement because you really got to spend time, right? You got you to gotta learn the river. You got to learn freaking bugs and all this stuff. But you don't have to get that complicated with it. Um, right. So anyhow, last year was a big year for that. I, I did it in Vermont. I did it here in New York. There's actually more streams and rivers in the New York metropolitan area than you think for this. Uh, so we were out in Oregon we did it there. So it's, 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 it's a lot of, it's great to learn something new and it's fun. And what, what are I, you catching? Are you yeah, catching I, mostly trout? I've caught nothing yet. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. sound like your brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all right. You've been out in the sunshine. You've been trying stuff. It's, uh, it's have you great. had a fish on the line? Don't think so. Okay. Okay. Well, what are you going to do? Uh, we'll get it. We'll get there. Do? <laughs> I was, um, I had a really good day on the water yesterday. So I'm doing my, my wing foiling on the, in the, yeah. on the ocean and the waves. And it's really freaking fun. Um, and I'd say like one session out of three, I'm, I'm doing well. The other's frustrating. But anyways, yesterday I had this awesome session. It was long and wind was just right. And, so I'm coming back and I'm super satisfied and I'm just checking out people on the beach and there's this old guy who's fishing and he pulls his line in and I see a spark plug on it. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing, you know? And, uh, you know, he had hooks too and, and he had some bait on it and I'm like, is he thinking he's getting some sort of electrical pole to attract the fish or something? And then it just dawns on me, this is Mexico. They, they don't have sinkers and all these things. He's just using that for, to get for the weight. bait down. Yep. It's as simple as that. I overthought it. But they don't fish with a fishing pole or anything. They, you know, they either wrap it around a Coke bottle or they hold the line in their hands yeah. and throw it out. That's typically what it's done. And I right. saw one time, there's an island called Holbosch uh, north of me, and I saw these kids in a marina, so excited, these young kids, like seven, eight, nine years old, and one of them caught this gigantic tarpon gigantic yeah. with a handheld line and he was so proud showing it to all the fishermen and everything wow. there's some neat little scenes down here of, of people going about their lives and how they do it is pretty cool yeah which is why would i i say he can buy all the equipment in the world right but right kind of get with a line and, a, and, a, and something and yep. try to catch a fish spend some time out there yeah, yeah all right so um so back to back to health so you're too so, young yeah. for I was going to say, you're too young for Medicare. Um, what, what's it like been, what's it like buying healthcare on the, uh, on the open market for you? What that, what has that been like? Well, we can do it through Obamacare because my wife works, she's a teacher, but part-time, so she doesn't get benefits. So we just pay, okay. uh, pay for, uh, we go through the New York exchange and buy our health insurance through that. So it's a little expensive, but it is expensive. Isn't it is. It? You gotta have it, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like my uh, Cobra is about eighteen hundred a month, and I think we, for a family, have four thousand in deductible. And I think when I switch out of Cobra, it's going to be more than that. Yeah, I yeah. well, I think we pay about eighteen hundred a month, something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, just my wife and I now. And kids have their own, so about right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, it's 
it's it's just what you got to do, right? You got to have it, right? Um, yep. And I don't know, <laughs> necessary evil, right? We just have to pay for it. We we try to get the right plan with you know. I I don't we we have very limited needs for for healthcare so That's far. Good. Yep. Uh, so I have, you know, I mean, last year I hurt my shoulder. I got an MRI that cost some money because that was uh, below the deductible. But anyhow, you just do it, right? Yep. Yep. It's, it. it's just part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I know my, um, my financial planner uh, gave me an estimate of $36,000 total out of, out of pocket. Um, for healthcare, and I think I think we'll be a little less than that, but probably some years it'll be right there. The other the other thing I did want to yeah. share is we have a a planned trip in September to Mallorca and Portugal, and I was talking to an older couple here in Mexico at dinner one night, and they had mentioned they had this Chubb uh, healthcare policy for travel that they pay for, and Chubb is like a very high end insurance company, and. He said, you know, when you're on Medicare, your health care coverage stops at the U.S. border. So if you travel, you have to have something else. And I didn't really consider that before. Um, so I ended up buying a, a policy for we're gone for a month. And it's through Chubb. And it's $100,000 per person medical coverage and up to a million for evacuation per person. And it was $150 for two of us for a month. That's really not that expensive. Good, and, yeah. uh, and a good thing to keep in mind uh, as you're traveling as a as a retired person. That's great. So I wanted to pass that along. Um, yeah. <clears throat> shifting gears a, a bit again um, to the mental side of health. I remember when we were going for a snowshoe. One of the reasons I mm. uh, I definitely wanted to get you on this podcast. So we just had a little bit of a talk about retirement and life because I was just getting started. This was not this year, but the year before when we were doing our Super Bowl party. And, and I just kind of asked you, because a lot of people would say to me, oh, what are you going to do, Drew? What are you going to do with your time? And, you know, I remember my mom saying to me, don't retire too early. Your, your mind needs to stay active. And I said to you, hey, do you, ever get, do you ever get bored? Or is that code word, do you ever get depressed? And you kind of had an answer for me. What do you do when you start to get those little tingles? But how has that been for you, like when you've had more time on your hand? And how have you handled that? Um, jeez. Uh, uh, I hate, well, I hate to dismiss the healthcare thing first. Sorry to sorry to uh, distract from their question because I know there's a lot of people that have to worry about those things, and I know a lot of people really time their retirement so they line up with Medicare, um, right. or their COBRA or whatever lasts until they're eligible for it. So that's important. I think from a mental standpoint, um, the I think, you know, there was a time where, especially during COVID, and, and I've noticed this about people that it become more insular in a way, the comfortable being home or being isolated, whatever the word is. Uh, and I think there's times when you tend to just find your comfort zone. And if that comfort zone is isolation, that's not the healthiest thing in the world. Um, I agree. So I, I, there's been points where I say I used to start reaching out to people. Say, hey, let's get together, yeah. let's go out, let's go play golf, let's do something. So, um, and, you know, and my wife, she's, she's like, you got to be, your mind has to be. That's it's, it's She's from China, so it's definitely a Chinese thing. You got to keep your mind constantly, constantly active. So, um, 
I, I, I don't have really, I haven't really had a problem with that. I think sometimes if I'm up in Vermont and, <laughs> and it's a gray day and I've skied a little bit and I've come back and then maybe it's time, maybe it's time to go back home because it's really isolating. So I think it's just a matter of just getting out and contacting people. And I might, you know, we live in a good great neighborhood with a lot of friends, so it's easy to do that. Um, and, and so, and I've been keeping active, keeping active with the startup, uh, keeping active with the investment portfolio. So, so that's what keeps me going yeah. you know, mentally for sure. Uh, and, and just reading books and every day, reading the paper, uh, and, and, you know, some of the research I do for my investment is, you know, it, again, I try to treat it like a job. So I'm not just spending, you know, just glancing at it or looking at the TV. I'll do, if I find an opportunity, I'll spend hours on the research because that's what I did. And it, I, I know how to look for things. And right. how to things. So oh, that's cool. I think I got plenty of mental uh, challenges, but it, it's a big issue. It's total, it's a huge issue. And I think that Part of what I've been doing is looking for those opportunities where I can um, use my mind and whether it's another job or whether it's being active in something, I think you have to, it's, it's critical. I think that's universal and I felt it myself. Like people have asked me, you know, for, for thoughts from time to time. And there's a couple of things that, that stick out, you know, and one is I spend more time in my own head. I mean, everybody spends time in their head, but, um, and Cicero, he wrote a book on how to grow old, and he said, you know, if you've done a good job when you're younger, you've built a pretty interest, interesting place in your own head. And I, I feel like my head's pretty pretty fun to hang out in, for sure, but I don't want to hang out there all the time. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, and I also, you know, worked with people that were experts at learning. And I'm not an expert. I like learning, but I'm not an expert at it. And they would always make a point of, you know, you can read about something for so long. Like, let's say you're interested in solar cells and batteries and inverters and understanding how that works. You can watch YouTube videos and you read about it. But at some point, you got to buy the friggin' equipment, put it together, have some instruments, and see how it actually works. And I kind of mm -hmm. put a parallel with that. Like, I love reading. I really do. I, it takes me places. I try to really think about what I'm reading. But it's different when you have a conversation. Yeah. And like the, the moment, it just is. a moment ago where you, you said, Hey, before we move into mental health, I want to, I want to recognize that there's people that need to time their retirement based on, on healthcare. And you're right. I forget sometimes I'm so friggin' lucky that I'm able to retire early and pay for my own healthcare. A lot of people will never be able to do that. And yeah. I think we do need to recognize that, um, and consider that in our thoughts. So, I mean, that's, um, that's uh, it. It is something. So that's one thing in retirement that I that I mention is that I I am recognizing I'm more insular. But I also think with COVID, and with this work from home, like young people have gotten more insular. I've kind of noticed that as oh, well, yeah. right? And uh, you know we need to we need to have more get-togethers for sure. Not just not just uh, older folks, but with younger folks. Um, the other thing that I that I do mention to people because um, especially actually that's a great point I hadn't thought of that because you know you're, you're you, the interactions with younger people are almost primarily my my two kids right nothing right. else so uh, it with their they don't live at home so the interactions are less and less and I mean with them so 
because they're less with them. I mean, they're more they're frequent, but they're on the phone or whatever. But you're not getting any interaction with their friends, which you used to see their friends all the time too. But now you get less and less of that. So it's kind of a thing. I haven't really thought about that too much. You it's you fun. probably get some people together up at the um, up in Vermont, right? Some young crew. Well, they yeah, they go up with their friends without us. <laughs> okay, <laughs> not not quite invited to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> the other observation I've I've had for folks. So I was just talking to uh, Jeff and Mike right up in Vermont, and they asked me, and I said. Yeah. You know, the, the, the other thing that maybe you don't anticipate how important it is, is um, you spend a lot more time with your wife. Mm-hmm. And people and preparing for retirement, maybe they think about their hobbies, maybe they think about their money um, and their health, but have they put as much time into their relationship with their spouse? Yeah. And, and how's that going to work out? And you don't, you don't know. And I'll say I'm super grateful for for my lady. We get along great. We're having a ton of fun together, but it is um, it's an important relationship, and uh, I think it it takes investing in. And I've seen some retired couples that maybe, you know, um, don't enjoy each other as much, or aren't as kind or as patient as they you know maybe yeah. could be, and those type of things. And um, let me turn this into a question that's fair to you, but. You know, how, how are things going with, you know, because I know you have a really strong friend group as well. So maybe you can talk about that. But maybe how has your relationship yeah. with friends and family, you know, changed in retirement? Uh, I don't know if it's changed all that much. Um, because I think for us, it's been a little bit of sort of stages, not just, I think for people who, you know, worked for 40 years and then they stopped it's right right so for us it was a bit of a it's more of a transition because you know i 2014 i was home for a couple years i was doing things then but my wife was working full time i was spending a lot of time with my daughter and taking care of things at home and then and then she stopped working in her full-time job in mid 17 so we had three month empty nets period (laughs) or or both of us. Then I went back and then she started teaching part-time and then I stopped and it was during COVID. So for us, it's been a sort of a gradual thing, nothing abrupt. And I think that that has helped because I think it's abrupt and it becomes, it's probably a lot more stressful because especially if one's working and one's not, or if you're you're both stop at the same time, then you're like looking at each other all day, I guess. But because she's still working and she goes to school for most of the day, uh, I don't think we've really had that um, that stress or that abrupt change, and, and so it's more evolutionary. That's that's how our our transition has occurred. Um, so, how about your friend? You know, group? I know you have. Then I think people who have to stress about money, it's hard. I mean, that's the stress and, right. or healthcare costs or all these little things, inflation, you know, all this stuff that goes on is stressful, I think, in a, to a large degree. So that can, that can, I think, cause problems with relationships. And, you know, thankfully, we're, we both keep busy with physical stuff, with activities, with, you know, with types of things that it, it's not like we're sitting at home looking at each other all day. Right. right. And so I think that 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 really helps. 
Okay. Um, how about your friend group? Have you have you had more time to like just hang out and connect up with people? And like, I'll 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 just share on my end. Yeah. We traveled a lot in our first year. I think it was 128 days, right. and for the most part, it was people inviting us to come visit, and we said, "Okay, we're coming." So almost every trip was going to hang out with people. Um, and so it allowed us to, to reconnect. There's some people I haven't reconnected with, so I'm sorry I haven't gotten there in the first year, but that's kind of what we do. You know, you invite us, we're coming. And um, that's been awesome. I, I, kind of, I kind of think back on that first year of retirement and like, what did I do with my spare time? And it's like, man, I just connected up with peeps and I loved it. Yeah. No, that's good. We've been... Uh, we. I think it's good to do trips together and separate. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, we do the same, right? And and you know, I traveled a lot for work, and uh, and and my my wife likes to do cultural things. I do like some of that, but you know, you like the athletic stuff. We've done a lot of that, and and I I for now I'd like to do more. Well, not just that, but for example, we went to Newport Jazz Festival last year. We're going to New Orleans this year. Um, you know, we're going to Lake Tahoe next week, and and then we're going to Vegas, right? Because she's never been to Vegas, so um, we're going to do LA or something else. But anyhow, when are you going to be in Vegas? By the way, and the cultural stuff, or maybe not athletic, but active things besides just um, sports or, or other activities, right? So we're trying to do a mix, and then she's going to go to Paris on her own with a friend of hers in the summer. Uh, great, that's that works out, and then we'll do a trip with the kids. Because you got to, you know, we kind of said to ourselves, now's the time to spend vacations with the kids before they have significant others or marriages and all That's those right. things. So at least spend good quality time with them. Last year we went to the south of France with them. So, you know, we're lucky, obviously, but... Uh, <laughs> That's the way I see it, right? You have a kind of a mix of things. Um, yeah, and, and, yeah, absolutely. You know, like music, we like to go to music things. We like to uh, uh, obviously do winter trips, uh, ski trips. Um, so that's the way I, I'd love to come to the Upper Peninsula. We haven't done that yet. I, I went last year, and I can I can guide you on some areas for sure. I, I haven't been many times. I've only been a couple of times, but um, Hemingway writes about the Two-Hearted River that's in the UP, and there's also in a really amazing beer, the Two-Hearted beer I'm sure you've had in Michigan had that, that Bell's yeah, yeah, Brewery yeah. makes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's some beautiful rivers up there. Yeah. Really wild rivers, you know, yeah. um, so- no industry. You know, and no dams. And there's a lot of places in the U.S. that we haven't been to. We've been internationally, but you know, I, I haven't. I mean, we started doing more of that last year. We went to Monument Valley in northern Arizona, and then into Sedona. We hadn't done that. It was pretty nice. So it's a big country, and and then it I was in Oregon, and I'd never been to Oregon. It's gorgeous. So it doesn't have to be international, right? There's a lot of places we still haven't been here. Um, yeah. So. Those are some of the things that we're trying to check check off. And the the thing is, but you mentioned, friend. I mean, most of our friends are here, so it's not like. Uh, I mean, I have friends in Chicago. I have friends. I do have a friend in Utah, so you know, I'll go on a ski trip to Utah uh, with him. And our son's in New Mexico. We can go there, but it's not like we have friends mixed all over that we get invited and spend weekends or whatever. It's starting to change a little as people retire and move south. Right. 
Right. Yeah, I've got a mix of people around and family around too, which is which is nice, but I also miss them. But it just as you started making that statement, it just makes me feel like I haven't been home in a while, and I I do miss home. Believe it or not, like I freaking love Detroit, and uh, I love the people there. And this summer we're gonna be we're gonna be home, and um, I'm really looking forward to that. I'll be grateful to be home. Yeah. I like our summer, house. Summer in Gross Point is pretty nice. It's pretty nice. It's pretty yeah. nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. I want to, I want to revisit the comment you had, you know, you, uh, you said your wife and her culture talks a lot about uh, keeping your mind active and you've, you've mentioned a lot of things that you're, you're spending your time on and learning, but do you, do you have any, any thoughts on, um, the way that you like to learn or, um, areas that you'd like to explore that maybe you haven't gotten to yet or, um, Things you have planned to continue to build your mind? Oh no, no, not specifically. I, I think it's 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 more uh, maybe it's a little too commercial, but I just think it's where the startup came from is just day to day looking at things in a different um, in a different frame and mm. saying, is this a business opportunity or is this something to right. think about change? Right? That's that's. I mean, maybe that's weird, but I don't know. It's just... Uh, oh, I get it. That's a lens of looking at things, looking for opportunities. Yeah, I think that's that's the way I look at and, and yeah. try to just keep my mind thinking about stuff rather than yeah. uh, um, keeping it or just... I don't know. I don't, know. It's, I don't really have anything specific on that, to be honest. Um, I do try to have some discipline during my day. I mean, it's nothing... You know, just to be able to ensure that I'm keeping active and monitoring things and making sure the portfolio is right and making sure there's no, you know, where the risk is. I mean, with all this bank crap, you got to look at where your money is and, yeah. and, and, and making sure you're not exposed anywhere. And some people would be concerned. It's crazy that it's just amazing that we have, you know, colleges and millions of people and they have no idea and they put money in a bank and, and they're educated and they have no idea what that means it's like let's teach our kids something fundamental like what is a bank deposit yeah <laughs> anyhow sorry to, i'm just rambling now. but uh, i know i mean i i could ramble too about it's so difficult to save and hold value and it shouldn't be that difficult um but but it just it just that i just keep active with all those things and maybe it's it's selfish in a way because it's all about me and my situation but you know that's what it is yeah, um, but I it's feel more... like that, 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 no, for, for me, I was going to say, I, I probably don't have enough structure um, to my day or my week. You know, I kind of wing my mornings. I can't say I have like a morning routine. Yeah. Um, there's something, there's things that go into every day for sure. Like I try to be physically active every day. I, I do, yeah. I yeah. keep this uh, silly little list I'll show you. of. Uh, I did this when I worked all the time. Every week I kind of start with all the little things I need to do. Or, yeah. And so I do kind of keep after that. But um, I probably could have a bit more of a routine. Mm -hmm. I tell you, one of the things I am trying to do is, you know, when I retired, it's like every night's Friday night. I was kind of partying. <laughs> every night yeah. and it, it doesn't it's not so fun if you're partying every night for me so i'm trying to like simulate a weekend 
and, and not party during the week and just kind of yeah. keep it a little more chill some evenings. Um, so I've kind of got that routine and I've kind of figured out, though, I actually like that. I like looking forward to Friday night like I did at work. Yeah. Um, but I could probably structure my day a little bit better and maybe I'll do that this summer when I'm home and I kind of have my, my setup and I'm not always, you know, out and about doing stuff. But that, that's interesting. I think, um, I think getting out in the morning which I don't do every day, but even if it's for like 10, for a walk, minutes, just get yeah. outside. You got to do get it. some sunshine. I mean, I yeah. used to do it. I tried to do it when I was working too, just to breathe a little. I mean, if you're in an office building all day or sitting in your house, it's not healthy. Yeah. You get out. It's a good way to invigorate. I played some paddle tennis in the morning and that's kind of fun. And you know, if you play paddle tennis at night, then you're, or any activity at night, then you refrain from drinking. Yes. So, you know, you got to, that's part of the discipline as well. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, I think we're, we're probably pretty close to closing it up. I got a few, a few final uh, questions for you. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I'll tell you what, I'll try it this way. I'll, I'll read them off so you get a little sense for, for what they're going to be. And then um, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit them. So the first one is, you know, if you had, double your waking hours like or say you could cut your sleep in half what would you do with that extra time and the, and the next one would be like um if you had a do-over in your career for, at any point what would it be and then if you mm-hmm. if you had a chance to meet your great-grandchildren we all hope we have a chance to do that but if you what what advice would you pass along to somebody you know three generations away and then uh the final question is going to be oh, yeah. What are you most thankful for? No, I'm going to revisit them. So there's four questions there, and we're going to go through them. But um, let's start with the first one, which is if you could cut your sleep in half or you could could double your waking hours, you had all this extra time, what would you do with it? No, I'm good right now with the time. You're good. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have the physical capacity to do more, right? You can only play so much tennis. And uh, what do I do with that time? uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I don't, I don't really think it's about, uh, more time. It's about just utilizing the time that you have in, in, in a good way. That's, that's I a think good that's, answer. You know, there's plenty Buy of time. That answer completely. <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, how about just, uh, your career, if you had a do-over, would it be, would you go into a different field? Would you take a different move at this point? Mm-hmm. Would you go into wealth management instead of retiring? Would you, uh, your do-over? Do-over. I wish, um, it's not really a do-over. I wish the last position that I was in lasted because mm-hmm. we were building something. Uh, yeah. I thought we were going to build something. It was a very difficult thing to build. Um, you put a lot of work into it, too. And I put a lot of work into it, but it was uh, not to not to happen um, for a variety of reasons. But it, it was the right platform for it. Um, it just didn't develop as we thought it was going to develop. Um, but that, that could have been a really big thing. And um, I liked... The person I worked with, I like the people that worked there, for the most part. Uh, there, were, there were just a lot of too many. There were so many obstacles in getting it done that 
it was hard to put it all together. So it, that's probably the biggest regret just because it was what I wanted to do. It was kind of, I had my right. time off. I went to a position and went to a place that I thought would work out. We were well situated. Um, you know, we had put money to work that all worked out, all was profitable, you know, good positions, a good, um, so we had creating a track record that was going to be, should have been, help uh, you grow, right. really grow our assets under management and it just didn't happen. So that's kind of, a, that's the drag because really the, the, the ability to grow that business at the bank wasn't going to happen under the new rules. So we had to find another place to do it. Well, we found the place, um, but the timing just didn't work out and the yeah. situation didn't work out. So that, that's, that's, it's not so much a do over, a little bit more of a regret, I guess. Regret. Right. Yeah. Cause you did do it. Cause yeah. I did do it. Yeah. You did, did it. Do it. Um, mm -hmm. okay. So, all right. Switching so gears I, to the I next when one. I, when, I, when that didn't, when that ended, I thought about going right back into some doing it somewhere else because I had, we had that mo momentum, but then after a month or so, I was like, not, not, not right away. And there, there wasn't, there wasn't really was in the market for it. So would I do it again? Yeah. But that's, that's if the situation was really right. And there was plenty of, plenty of opportunities out there to do it and make it work. Okay. So, okay. How yeah. about, um, wisdom to pass along to your great grandchildren, which you don't, you don't have yet, but hope you do. <laughs> as far as I know, uh, Wisdom pass on. Oh God, I don't know. Uh, same kind of wisdom, I guess, I give my kids. Uh, you know, one as I mentioned, one of my one of my friends passed away recently, and he was uh, he he was always positive, or he always had um, he always laughed. Right? He brought so much laughter to the world. So you got to try to have that in you, you know, I mean, everything's serious, everything's this, everything's that, everything's, uh, um, you got to laugh, you know, everybody appreciates that. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You got to find the humor in things. You can't, not everything is so serious. Not everything is so critical. Not everything is not easy to do, but you know, working in a lot of these countries with people who don't have what we have, we're so lucky in this country. People have no clue about how, um, just day-to-day -day things. And they don't have that stuff. But for some reason, for, and, and it's tough, but in a lot of ways they, they have a better appreciation for things. And they just, sent to you, you're in Mexico right now. So Mexicans are a wonderful way of life. And, and not everyone. Oh, for sure. You know, there's, there's, they, they laugh about things. They, they don't think, take things so seriously all the time. So that's probably the, the best. Uh, so whenever, you know, whenever I was stressed and, and, and uh, or, you know, I'd, I'd call Johnny up and I'd, Johnny, let's go, let's go skiing, let's go golfing. And oh my God. <laughs> what a He'd difference. Yeah. 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 Ah. That's uh, that that's good advice, and um, it's one of the things that I, I I said to myself in retirement too is just just try to loosen up. You know, I'm a pretty tight loosen person. Up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just try to be a little little yeah. more chill and a little more loose. Yeah, um, you gotta be. You gotta be. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
<laughs> All right, so uh, a final question for you, Jimmy, and we'll close it up. Well, what are you thankful for? What's up? What are you thankful for? Oh, God, my family first, of course. I mean, I know that's probably the, 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 the answer of most people, but I have a great wife, two great kids, so just so thankful for that. My brother, Rob, and Mike. So, but, but really, um, I made the right decision, or we made the right decision. So, you know, there's always struggles, but, you, you know, thankful for that and thankful to be able to live the life we live, but also to, um, for the time I was able to spend with them um, over the years. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's it, really. That's perfect. That's perfect. Good for you. And, uh, you know, congratulations on that. You know, I, uh, I, I, I do re I read this book every year at Cicero's how to, how to grow old. And he does talk about like, you know, curating your mind or whatnot. But he also says, you know, if, uh, when you grow old and you've had a good life, uh, you've, you've had a family, you've had accomplishments, um, you know, as you get older, you can look back at that, feel proud of that, enjoy that, reminisce on that. Um, and, you know, the slowing down's okay. There's, there's the downsides to it, but there's the plus sides to it. But it, you've certainly done a good job in your life and, and built up those relationships and built that family and had that career. And so congratulations to you. Um, and you too. Also wanted to, yeah. Yeah, no, I feel really good about it. I like where I'm at in life a lot. Yeah. You know, I think there's things I'm always searching for to see if I, I want to try something new. But I also, I, I've said this in, in previous podcasts, but I, I've said to myself, when I went to university, I went into engineering. I just didn't even look around. I went there and that was a pretty grueling workload and I wasn't the best student. So it took me a long time. So this time I said to myself, I'm going to feel like I'm a freshman at university that hasn't declared their major. I might do that for a number of years. I'm going to do something, but I'm not going to jump right into it. It's kind of where my head's at, and I'm kind of enjoying that as well. Maybe that's just an excuse, and I'm pushing stuff off like a lot of freshmen at university does, but that's kind of where my head's at anyways. But um, I do want to say thank you for sharing. Uh, this is kind of my, my little passion project, something fun to do, and I think there's nothing like hearing real stories from real people that have gone through you know, this transition or, and, and are retired and see what, what life is like. And I think you've been really real in, in answering things and, uh, I appreciate it and I hope our listeners enjoy it. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Any closing comments from your side? No, just, well, listen, I hope, yeah, it's been, it's been good to talk to you. It's good to become friends with you over the years. Agreed. Um, and, uh, I hope, uh, we'll see you more. Sounds <laughs> and, good. Uh, that's about all I got. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. I figure if you made it this far, you've got a couple of things you'd like to, to share with me about the podcast. Please do so at storiesfromretirement at gmail.com. I'll, uh, I'll definitely read it and I'll definitely respond because we don't have that many listeners, but very curious for your feedback. Thanks again for listening. And I hope to finish up the, this project by the end of 2023 with a total of 10 interviews. Cheers for now.